for a word of prayer as we look to see what God would speak to us from his word. Elohe Avraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Elohe Yaakov, Elohe Yeshua, Mishikenu. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, God of Yeshua, our Messiah, we come to you, Lord God, truly with joyful hearts. Abba, you are our joy in our life. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for all the good things that you've done in us and through us. Abba, I pray that you would speak to us, encourage us, and change our lives. And we ask it in the name of Yeshua. And everyone said, Amen. Going to start off reading from Vayikra 23. And it says, Adonai said to Moshe, Tell the people of Israel, on the 15th day of the seventh month is the feast of Sukkot for seven days to Adonai. On the first day, there is to be a holy convocation. Do not do any kind of ordinary work. For seven days, you are to bring an offering made by fire to Adonai. On the eighth day, you are to have a holy convocation and to bring an offering made by fire to Adonai. It is a day of public assembly. Do not do any kind of ordinary work. But on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered the produce of the land, you ought to observe the festival of Adonai seven days. The first day is to be a complete rest, and the eighth day is to be a complete rest. On the first day, you ought to take choice fruit, palm fronds, thick branches, and river willows, and celebrate in the presence of Adonai your God for seven days. You ought to observe it as a feast to Adonai seven days in the year. It is a permanent regulation. Generation after generation, keep it in the seventh month. You ought to live in Sukkot for seven days. Every citizen of Israel is to live in a sukkah, so that generation after generation of you will know that I made the people of Israel live in Sukkot when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Adonai, your God. Amen. Who's been living in the sukkah? I say, okay. <laughs> okay, maybe not in the diaspora, but uh, uh, if we were in the land, we'd be certainly doing it. As we have been celebrating Sukkot, known as Zaman Simchatenu, right? The season of our rejoicing, of our joy. It's a time where I trust you have been more aware and sensitive to his presence and his goodness in your life. Since we've passed through the high holy days and have tasted afresh of God's compassion and mercy. I mean, isn't he good? He's so good that he provides year after year that sense of forgiveness and atonement through the shed blood of Yeshua HaMashiach. And we are truly blessed. We rejoice in all that God has done for us and that he will do for us in this year ahead. You know, you need to get ready because God wants to pour out blessing upon your life. Because he delights to um, uh, bless his people. Um, When we think of Sukkot, we think of themes like joy, harvest, the sukkah, of course, living in it, which is a good reminder for us to live in Messiah, the one who came and tabernacled among us, Um, as well as taking a break from the materialistic world, right, that we are, it's so pervasive. Um, We take a break from that and we go to a simple little, you know, construction that barely holds up, and thank God that the synagogue sukkah barely held together. And it's a chance for us to, to, to reconnect to the simple things in life, like faith and our relationship to God, his provision for us, 
right? The things that he's done in our lives. And you know what? We, that could all get muddied as we go through the year and, and, and watered down. And, and it's a time where we could just reflect on God's goodness in our lives. Um, we rejoice in all that God has done for us and what he will do for us because God is faithful to his promise. And, and last week, Rabbi Carroll focused on joy and how to live a joyous life in this world. Um, I want to encourage you that if you didn't hear that message, to get it, you could get it just for the cost of the CD. Or if you did get it or you were here, to re-listen to it. Uh, you can listen to it online, it's true, um, on a podcast. And to re-listen to that because God wants us filled with his joy. You know, and um, it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. And if you feel weak and, and wearied and, and, and downtrodden and discouraged, guess what? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And as we draw the joy from his presence, we are uplifted, we're strengthened and empowered to live in this world. So I encourage you to do that. And so, although I might touch just a, a little bit on joy today, um, that won't be my main focus for this message Today I want to start with the fact that Messiah is God and he tabernacled among us. Without getting really technical, Messianic scholars have concluded that it was the first day of Sukkot that Yeshua was born and that he was circumcised on the eighth day of Sukkot. That means that the light of the world would have been conceived during Hanukkah the festival of lights. And his forerunner, Yochanan, who came in the spirit and power of Eliyahu Hanavi, would have, as scholars believe, been born during Pesach, at the exact time where we look for Eliyahu Hanavi to announce the Mashiach to us. Is that just happenstance or coincidence? No, it is the divine plan of Almighty God. So we think about what Matthew Yahoo chapter 17 and 10 says, and it says, His Talmudim asked Yeshua, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And so Yochanan the Immerser did come first in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he did announce the coming of Yeshua, the Messiah of Israel. Awesome. Right during this time, he tabernacled with us. So when you sit in your sukkah, or you could go sit in our sukkah, you could, it's um, a picture of us being in Messiah. Being found in Messiah, not having a righteousness of our own, but a righteousness that comes from God through his son. Okay, so Yeshua was born during Sukkot. Yeah, yeah. But in what manner was he born? Well, It tells us in Yeshiahu, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 5, look what it says about the child that would be born. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, dominion will rest on his shoulders, and he will be given the name Peleoetz El Gibor, Aviad Sar Shalom. And those names in English mean wonderful counselor, mighty God. Father of eternity, Prince of Peace, will be ascribed to this child that would be born. He would be called God. 
because God would send the promised Messiah to redeem his people in order to extend the dominion and perpetuate the peace of the throne of the kingdom of David. You see, when God promised to King David that he would never cease to have a man sit upon his throne, he wasn't kidding. When he, God says forever and ever and ever, he means forever and ever, and Yeshua sits enthroned as king forever, descended from David, king of Israel. And it says the zeal of Adonai Tzivaot will accomplish this. In Micah 5, 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Zito Santalia states that even Rashi, one of the greatest rabbis of Judaism, saw the passage as speaking of Messiah's deity. Rashi refers to Psalm 72 in his exposition on Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, which says, The ruler of Israel who will be born in Bethlehem, that is that his origins are from old, from ancient times. And according to Rashi, he is the Messiah, the son of David. As Psalm 118 says, he is the stone which the builders rejected. Does that ring a bell to you, that verse that's quoted by the New Covenant writers? You see, they weren't making this stuff up, friends. This was established Jewish thought, the stone that the builders rejected. The Messiah, God himself. And his origins are from ancient times, from before the sun was. His name was Yenon, and Yenon is a name for the Messiah, according to the rabbis. Rashi, as well as other rabbis, believed that the Messiah of Israel existed before creation because he was always with God. They based it on Micah 5 and 2 and other texts, but there was nothing before creation except God. So you conclude that they believed the Messiah would be God. Matter of fact, David Kimchi, another rabbi revered in Judaism, also known as Radak, realized this too and specifically spoke of Messiah's deity from the passage in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. The rabbis praised Radak's understanding of spiritual matters and said that without his insight into scripture, there is no correct biblical exegesis. So that shows you how highly regarded Radak's opinion was. And he says of Micah 5 2, It will be said in the messianic age that his origins are from old, from ancient times. From Bethlehem means that he will be of the house of David because there is a long period of time between David and the Messiah King. And he is El, God. Which is how he is from old, from ancient times. So here, Radak is telling us that the Messiah and the promise in Micah 5.2 would be God himself. As we said during the high holiday messages, that God said he searched to and fro for someone to stand in the gap and he found no one. So what did it say? His own arm works salvation for him. We go now to Yochanan chapter 1. And I taught this last weekend. I was with a group of pastors 
telling them why they need to love Jewish people and why they need to have a, a, a right attitude and, and perspective on the role of Israel in the nations. And that it's not a priority based on merely numbers. Because if we look at the Jewish people, we're less than half a percent of the world population. Why would we invest a lot of time and energy and resources in such a small group? But there is a prophetic priority upon Israel that God has placed upon Israel when he said it is to the Yehudi first, to the Jew first, and also to the nations. When God said that you will not see me again, Yerushalayim, until you cry out, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which, by the way, is right here from Tehillim 118 that we'll see later on. You see, there is a prophetic priority on Israel. And in the beginning was the word, and we know from... Um, we just know it because we're Jewish and we know it. <laughs> we know it from reading the Targum meme that the word is the memra from the Aramaic Targums. And we know that every Jewish person of the day, the, the living Bible of the first century was the Targum meme. That's what they primarily read in Aramaic. And when they knew the concept of memra, that the memra, the word of God, the word was God. And so the Jewish hearers of Yochanan's statement here, they know exactly what he's saying, that the Messiah, the word, is God. And they had no problem with it. They believed it already. In the, they just didn't know who it was. And Yeshua said, I am he. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. All things came to be through him, and without him nothing had being. In him was life. And the life was the light of mankind. The word became a human being and lived with us, tabernacled with us. We saw his Shekinah, the Shekinah, the father's only son, full of grace and tooth. We saw the glory of God in the face of Messiah, as you would expect, would you not? So the Messiah, who is God, came for his people Israel and the nations. And he tabernacled with us. Friend, if you ever doubt God's love for you, God who lives in eternity, okay? Heaven is described as having streets made of gold so pure that it's like glass. God who created everything by his spoken word chose to tabernacle with us. Friend, it's not just mentioned here in this passage. Did not God literally tabernacle with us in the wilderness? Did his presence not sit on the tabernacle in the wilderness and tabernacle amongst his people Israel? Of course it did. Did he not tabernacle in Yerushalayim with us in the temple? Of course he did. And so through the Messiah, he tabernacles with us because he cares for us so much that he's not content to be a God that lives in heaven with his people on earth far away. He's a God that wants to be close to each and every one of us. He tabernacled with Adam and Chava, right? He walked with them and talked in the cool of the day. He wasn't content to just be up in heaven and them on earth. He wanted to interact with his creation. 
his desire to be close to us. How much does God love his people? Just like he sent Moshe to Mitzrayim to eventually bring us out to dwell with, to dwell with us in the wilderness, so he came to earth to redeem us so he could dwell with us and live amongst us. Right? After all, it says in the Brit Chadesha, Messiah in you, the hope of glory. Tabernacling in you, in us, with us. Awesome. It says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So many of our people, not confident of their position before God, and yet the Messiah came that we would have confidence before God. Not in an arrogant way, but in a humble way. To say, God, thank you that you drew me near, that you paid the penalty and atoned for me, that I could come into your presence and dwell with you. In him we live and move and have our being. I want to tell you this, that God made the first move toward mankind. We didn't choose him first. God moved toward us because he wanted to be with us. I want to tell you this, God moved toward you first because of his great desire to be with his people. God through Israel... Messiah and his people is a light to the nations, or Legoim. When we think of Sukkot, we rarely think of sacrifice. Do you? Is that the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Sukkot? Sacrifice? No, not me. I know the first thing that pops in our mind, I've got to get the sukkah out. Got to find the decorations. Right? I think of joy. I think of you know, the goodness of the Lord. All great themes. I think of fruit, of fruitfulness. But... There are more sacrifices during Sukkot than any other holy day. In Bab Midbar 29, verses 12 through 40, it lists all the sacrifices that were to be offered on Sukkot. Starting with the first day, right, they would offer 13 bulls through the seventh day, and it would decrease one a day. So it would be 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, till finally on the seventh day, seven bulls and 98 sheep. To total of 70 bulls in seven days. And then on the eighth day, it was treated as a separate day. Rabbinic tradition states that the sacrifice of 70 bulls represents all the nations of the world, assumed to number 70. You see, God was going to fulfill his plan. And his plan was simply this, that Israel would be a light of salvation to the nations, a priestly nation, mediating between the nations and him, bringing them to his light. This festival focusing on man's need and desire to give thanks to God for the year's harvest is of universal appeal. It is no small wonder that Zechariah prophesied that Sukkot would become a universally observed festival in Zechariah 14.12. That all nations, if they want rain, are going to have to celebrate the Feast of Sukkot. Why? Because the Feast of Sukkot is for them. Don't you know that even in Jerusalem right now today, the Feast of Tabernacles is going on. 
And do you know that people from all over the world are there celebrating the, the God of the nations and the God of Israel? Those 98 lambs that are offered during the seven days, the rabbis say, are to be an atonement for the 98 curses spoken of in Deuteronomy 28. You see, God wants us to be free. He came to bring us freedom from the curses of sin and death. Why did he do that? Because his Feel the heart of God. He calls Israel, and he loves Israel. And he, and I told a group of leaders last week, and he continues to love Israel. But he was not content with just Israel. You see, in modern Judaism, it's kind of seen like, well, it's them and us on both sides of the aisle. That's not the heart of God in the Tanakh. The heart of God is through the Jewish people to reconcile everybody he created because he loves the entire world. What could be made of all this? I believe it's simple. That God has always and will always be concerned for all people and all nations. God, as we see here, has built into the festival of ingathering, as it's also known, sacrifices for all the nations of the earth. God was not short-sighted in breadth and scope of his redemption. God is benevolent to all his creation. It is easy for us as human beings to lose focus of the big picture. For Gentiles, they lose focus about God's desire to see Israel come back to him. And they think that somehow God is finished with Israel. It couldn't be farther from the truth. But on the other side of the aisle, Jewish people, we as a Messianic Jewish community, can lose sight and focus that God still desires to save the nations of the earth. And that was why we wanted to pray for the nations. Friends, if you want people to be friendly toward Israel, who better than someone whose heart has been redeemed and transformed? They don't have any desire or hatred in their heart when, when Yeshua gets a hold of them. They don't want to hurt Jewish people. They want to love Jewish people. So it couldn't be a better thing than to God, for God to pour out his spirit on the nations. A quick read of the book of Yonah tells us all we need to know about God's heart of redemption for the most ruthless of sinners and nations. Right? God didn't say, forget it. Nineveh, you're done, did he? I mean, Nineveh was ruthless. He redeemed them because that's his heart, heart of redemption. And look what it says in Revelation 5. I want you to get a picture of this. Now, I believe it's going to look different than most people think, and I'll explain in a second. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe. Think of that, every tribe. Every tongue. Every people. And every nation. 
Think of that for a second. That's the plan of God. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. That was God's plan the whole time. What is heaven? When you picture heaven, you know, or tikkun olam, or <laughs> when we're all when it's all wrapped up, what do you picture? I picture this. I'm, I'm going to have to tell you. I really believe the worship style is going to be Jewish, because <laughs> you know, Yeshua did say, "I'm going to return the way I left." And he, re- he left as a first century, century rabbi. But that notwithstanding, heaven is going to be a place for all people. Sukkot also speaks to us about our need for the Ruach HaKodesh. Look what it says, and Rabbi Carroll alluded to this, and we read some of this. On the last day of the festival, Hoshana Rabbah, literally on the last great day of the festival, the seventh last day of Sukkot, was the climax. And through the seven days of the festival, a special Kohen had carried water in a gold pitcher from the pool of Shiloach, or Siloam, as it says in the Brit Hadashah, to be poured into a basin at the foot of the altar by the Kohen Hagadol. This guy's schlepping water for the whole time, okay? And he's going to the pool, and he's schlepping the water and pouring it down, and back and forth. Think of the imagery they're seeing this for seven days. It symbolized prayer for rain, which begins on Shemini Atzeret, and it also pointed toward the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh on the people of Israel. The rabbis associated the custom with Isaiah 12 and 3 when it says, With joy you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. Modern day Moroccan Jews still do that. Now listen, this is great. They pour water on each other. Want to try that? How fun would that be? Okay. It's like a big water balloon fight, you know, on Sukkot. I said I wasn't going to touch on joy much, but I will a little bit here. Draw joy, right, from the wells of salvation. Too many of God's people are living without the joy of the Lord. But Rabbi, if you know what I was going through, I know that's the whole point of his joy. That no matter what you're going, but Rabbi, you don't know my circumstance and situation. That's the point. That no matter your situation or circumstance, you could have the joy of the Lord. How? You draw it from the wells of salvation. B.S., that word there is Yeshua. Draw it from Yeshua. Joy comes from Yeshua. That's where it comes from. It emanates from him. And when we find him and draw water regularly from him, we have the joy of the Lord. On the seventh day, the water pouring was accompanied by Cohen, Cohenim blowing gold trumpets, Leviim singing with sacred songs, and ordinary people waving their lulavs and chanting the Hallels, which we'll be doing later waving our lulav and the etrog. A connection between the possession of the Ruach HaKodesh and ecstasy or religious joy is found in the ceremony of water drawing. This says the Encyclopedia Judaica. 
Simchat Beit HaShoevah, the Feast of Water Drawing on the Festival of Sukkot, the Mishnah said that he who had never seen this ceremony, which was accompanied by dancing, singing, and music, so we were biblical today, had never seen true joy. Yet, this was also considered a ceremony in which the participants, as it were, drew inspiration from the Holy Spirit itself, which can only be possessed by those whose hearts are full of religious joy. Now, hear all that. Look what Yeshua said. Now, on the last day of the festival, Hoshana Rabbi Yeshua stood and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, close your eyes. And listen to those words as as if you were there. If anyone is thirsty, let him keep coming to me and drinking. Whoever puts his trust in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from his inmost being. Now he said this about the spirit whom those who trusted in him were to receive later. The spirit had not yet been given because Yeshua had not yet been glorified. Yeshayahu 44 and 3 says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. He's not talking about the literal land. He tells us in the next sentence. I will pour my spirit on your descendants my blessings on your offspring. He's talking about people. How do you feel in your relationship with God? Wet, filled with the waters of salvation, of Yeshua, the joy of the Lord, that's our strength. Guess what? If you don't feel it and sense it, What does it mean? Maybe you've neglected going to the well on a regular basis. No harm, no foul. We could start doing it today. Right? So the joy is connected to Sukkot and the joy that many believers find elusive comes from the Ruach. It is the spirit-empowered life that can consistently walk in the joy of the Lord. How many times do we read through the Brit Chadashah and we see Shaul going through these horrendous trials and tribulations? And yet, in the next sentence, he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Where does that joy come from? It came from his relationship with the Messiah. It came from him daily drawing from the wells of Yeshua. Salvation on a daily basis, drinking deep of the Word of God and the Lamb of God, being infilled with the Ruach of God. Hear this, and I mean this really in the best, best way. But listen to this we want all the benefits of what the Word promises, but we do not want the relationship that is required. I don't mean that in a bad way. But that's true in my own life. It's, it's, it's true in all of our lives. 
We want the benefits of all the promises of the word. But we don't want the relationships with him that's required to access those benefits. Friends, you know, there's one person you definitely can't put one over on, and that's him. We can't pretend like we have such a deep relationship. He knows if we do or don't. I mean, we can pretend with each other, and that's fine if you want to do it. But he knows what the real scoop is between you and him. He knows what it really is. And this is all I'm encouraging you. Between you and him, daily, go and draw the waters. Draw upon the waters of Yeshua every day, every morning. Draw upon the waters of Yeshua. Let him fill you with joy and life and the spirit of God and and optimism and hope. Friends, you know what? We in the body of Messiah need, I I hope, I know we're Facebook lovers and and we're spending all these, but please, please listen to me. Some of this theology that comes on Facebook, friend, I want you to seriously question. What do you think? You know, I've seen people, they call in what happened with the killing of the students on the campus, that's part of God's judgment. Friend, we better think again who we think God is. That if God is saying, oh, you believe in me? Now I'll kill you. You don't know God. That's not the judgment of God, friend. That's the work of evil. People doing evil things. But the judgment of God... We need to wake up. Friend, don't get your theology from Facebook. I'm serious. All the kooky things they say. Oh, and God's doing this. Friend, they're going to be in for a rude awakening one day when they stand before God and he says, I was? What do you say I'm doing? Friend, God is consistent from the beginning of the book to the end as to who he is. Yes, judgment will come one day. It'll be final judgment and it won't be pretty. But until then, God has sent us good news. Know what the good news is? You can avert judgment through his son, the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. There's hope in him, joy in him, peace in him, life in him. Not judgment in him. Life in him. And it brings me to the fourth and final theme. I know everyone's hungry as the foods are cooking. That I want to highlight about Sukkot. And to me, it's the most important one. And it's simply that Messiah Yeshua is our life. It was in the midst of this water pouring, trumpet blasting, palm-waving, psalm-chanting, and ecstatic joy on the part of people seeking forgiveness and in the presence of all 24 divisions of the priesthood that Yeshua cried out in the temple courts, if anyone is thirsty, let him keep coming to me and drinking. Whoever trusts in me, as the Tanakh says, rivers of living water will flow from his inmost being. In effect, Yeshua was declaring, listen to me, I am the answer to your prayers. You hear that? 
many of us in this room are looking for answers to our prayers. Yeshua is the answer to our prayers. His dramatic cries, supported by the full panoply of temple ritual, was not misunderstood. As verse 40 through 43 make abundantly clear, Yeshua was saying, no, he wasn't saying, he was crying. Crying out with a loud voice, you need me. You need me, Israel. You need me, my people. He foresaw that in a few short years from that day, he, the, 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 the temple that he was in would be destroyed. You need me, Israel. You need me, nations of the earth. Yeshiyahu 55 says, all you who are thirsty, you hear what he's saying? Come to the water. You without money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money. It's free. Now listen to this from Revelation. Tell me it doesn't sound exactly the same. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. And let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life free of charge. It's the same thing. He is our life. And if we want joy and contentment, it is found nowhere else and in nothing else. Now, I'm going to read a passage of scripture from the the message translation, and it's powerful. Have ears to hear. Friend, I say this because I don't want to see God's people walking around defeated and downtrodden and discouraged always, there is a place to live in God where there's freedom and joy and it doesn't matter what's happening around us. You could have all hell breaking loose that you would be filled with the life and joy of God. That is what the New Covenant writers lived in that reality. Why do you think they were so psyched and ready to give their lives for this? Because it was real. It was real to them. And it could be real to you. So listen to this. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Messiah, act like it. Pursue the things over which Messiah presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Messiah. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Messiah in God. He is your life. When Messiah, your real life, appears or shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Messiah. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Messiah, act like it. Religion could easily become a snare. 
Because we could think the power is in the repetition of activity. Whether it be reading your Bible or saying prayers or singing songs. Friend, all of those things, which maybe we could term religious things, only work when they are tools to connect us to the living God. When they really connect us to him. Life is found in him, not in a song. Life is found in him, not in a prayer. Life is found in him. That's where it's found. And we have to connect. And we use religious things to do that. But we can get caught up thinking that because we're doing religious things all the time, and then we start to say things like this, well, this really don't work. This, this, this doesn't really do it for me. I'm not really jazzed by this. I'll tell you why. Because you're doing the religious things as if they were an end to themselves. No, that to be a means to the end, the end meaning finding him, really. And when they're used in that way, they're awesome. When you sing a song and you connect with him, oh man, it's just right here in your kishkes. You, oh, because it served its purpose, but it's not in the song, it's not in the prayer, it's not in the activity, it's not, we're going to wave the lulav and the etrog, it's not in that, unless that is connecting you to God. Open to me the gates of righteousness. This is Psalm 118. That I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The Hebrew is le Yeshua. My salvation. My Yeshua. Jewish people say, well, is Yeshua anywhere in the Bible? Yeah, he's all over this, <laughs> this passage. And he's saying, I am, you are my Yeshua. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us. And we sing that today. Hoshiana, save us. We pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Friend, do you think Yeshua didn't know what he was saying? When you will not see me again, Yerushalayim, until you cry out, Baruch haba, b'shem Adonai. He's referencing this right here, this psalm. Jewish people know what happens with that psalm and when it's read and what's taking place, an expectation of, or in exaltation of the Messiah, King of Israel. Save us, we pray. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. According to rabbinic teaching, Tehillim 118 speaks of Messiah. In this passage, the Hebrew reads, I thank you that you, God, have answered me and become my Yeshua. Yeshua is our salvation. Listen to me. He is our savior from everything we need saving from. So I'm gonna say that again. He is our salvation and he is our savior from everything we need saving from. From despair, 
depression, guilt, shame, condemnation, and loneliness, depression, discouragement, pain, sickness, disease, calamity, trouble, and anything else we can name. He is our Savior from those things. You know, I could almost hear the heart of Yeshua now. Oh, Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, how I long to gather you as a hand gathers her chicks under her wings. Wanting them, our people, that he was speaking to, the taste of his salvation, that of, of everything they need, he is that for us. Everything we need, we run to so many different things. Friend, it's not in a better job. Get a better job, please, but it's not in a better job. It's not in a new house. It's not in a new car. It's not in new stuff. Fine, get those things. Those are fine. God wants you to have them. But joy and life and peace and the reality of God is not found in anything. It's not found in our families. It's not found in our children. It's not found in our spouses. It's found in him. That's why he connects with the, with the widow and the orphan. Because God is enough for them. God is enough for them. When, when they connect with God, they say, I'm good to go. I close with this one paragraph, and then we could go eat. You know, I, I want to say this. In a non-religious way, God's are fine with eating, by the way. Yeah, you could have a meal, breakfast or upstairs, and talk with God. He's not put off by it. Because he's in everything. You can eat your cereal and have a conversation with God. Go figure that. Because it really isn't religious. He is the living God that loves us. When we eat our cereal, I don't know what you eat, Cheerios. Frosted Flake, oh. I said it. Okay. <laughs> That's the one we all want, right? But we get the Cheerios. Listen to this. We must cling to him. Stay close to him. Be found in him all the days of our life. Friend, if there's anything I could get, if, if, if I stepped into eternity and one of you were there and said, Rabbi, I only learned one thing from you. The whole time was at Beth Emmanuel. You would think I would be discouraged. Well, it depends what it is. (laughs) But if you tell me you learned this one thing, that I learned that I needed to cling to him. Hey, those kids are fine. Those kids are perfect just being kids. I would be ecstatic if you learned that one thing. I learned that I have to cling to Yeshua with everything that's within me. I'm happy. He is the God that tabernacles with us. He is the light to all nations, the giver of the Ruach HaKodesh. And he is our life, and all we need to do is act like it. All we have to do is act like he is our life. And trust me, your life will improve drastically. In every facet of your life, it will improve because God is awesome. Thanks for listening. Rabbi Carol's going to come up.
Amen. But I'm going to speak a blessing, and then Rabbi Michael is going to, to 